So this is the first Sunday um, of Pastor Rich's sabbatical, and so um, we hope that we have a great lineup of different speakers for you this summer and different faces, some you've seen, some you haven't. Um, And so for our first Sunday, we have actually a face that you have seen, but not in this context. And so today, uh, we're going to hear a word from Pastor Sharon Swift. Uh, Many of you know Sharon, yes. Um, But this is the first time that she's going to be on this platform at this church. So this is the rule. When we have outside people, we give them a rousing applause, right? This is an insider, so I want it to be even more special, all right? So welcome, Pastor Sharon Swift. Uh, I just can't thank you enough, both for myself and for our family um, in these couple months that we've been here. Um, My husband of 16 years is here, and my two daughters, Tilly and Abby, and we're so grateful to how welcoming you've been to us in this transition and um, helping us to really feel like we're a part of new life. So, um, And I'm really enjoying getting to know all of you. And there's a couple of other opportunities outside of a Sunday where I can get to know you more, one of which is the Congregational Day Alone with God. I will be um, teach- leading that on July 6th. That's the Saturday after Independence Day, and um, registration is actually open. So if you're interested, would love to be there with you and enjoy a day in the presence of God. Um, you can sign up actually at the Welcome Center, or Lisa can walk you through that at the small groups table, um, but I would love to see you there. Another opportunity is in August, I'll be teaching a New Testament survey class the first two Wednesdays in August, August 7th and 14th. Um, so we're going to take a broad view of the New Testament, just kind of touch on the, the big concepts and get to know it better. So even if you've, you've been reading the Bible for a little while, or even if you're a person who maybe has very little familiarity with the Bible. You are more than welcome to come, and I believe you'd get something out of it. So I hope to see you at one of those um, summer events um, that will help equip you. Um, So yeah, so I wanted to put that out there. Uh, We're going to continue our series on encounters with Jesus that Rich started before his sabbatical. And so we're looking at stories in the gospel where lives are changed and transformed and taking a, a little deeper dive into them. So today, I want to look at the healing at the pool of Bethesda, which is found in John 5. I'm going to give you a moment to navigate there in your Bibles. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand and one of the uh, greeters or ushers will help you get a Bible. Um, So don't be shy to raise your hand. There's one thing I want to say about this passage before we read it. There is a, you'll probably notice in your Bibles, in most translations, verse 4 is not there. It actually goes from verse 3 directly to verse 5. So I won't get into all the reasons why, but I'm going to include it in my reading. So you'll see it highlighted in yellow. Um, The reason why I'm going to include it is because it provides some really meaningful context to understand what's happening in the passage and why the person's there and why Jesus is even encountering them. Um, So I think it's important, it helps us out. So I'll give you a practical example of, of why something like that would be helpful. If you read a quote from me that said, being a Knicks fan is intense, 
okay? It would really depend on when I said that quote, right? <laughs> what that means, how to interpret that, right? So if, you, if I said that in the 90s, you would say, oh my gosh, intensely good. Being a Knicks fan is awesome in the 90s. If I said it in the last six months, it's probably from a place of desolation. Uh, so, so context matters, right? It helps us to understand what's going on and what the meaning is behind what's being said. And so that's why I'm including it, um, just so that we can better understand the text um, and in interact with it. So let's start. John 5, 1 through 15. It's a little lengthy, so stay with me. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Sometime later... Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, and they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one in the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Verse seven, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. When I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured, and he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Verse 10, and so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who took you, told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. So later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are here, that you are present, that you are with us. And especially on this Pentecost Sunday, we remember how fortunate we are to have your Holy Spirit with us working inside us, working in our midst. Holy Spirit, do what you do best. Do what only you can do in our midst as the word goes forth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So, um, a few weeks ago, I was part of a training that Pete and Jerry Scazzaro had here for emotionally healthy discipleship for people who are uh, leading or um, will lead a section of that in their own churches. I was really fortunate to participate, it was great. But there was one quote that Jerry Scazzaro shared that really shocked me and I wanna share it with you today. The reduction in lifespan for loneliness is similar to that caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day, and it's greater than the impact on lifespan than obesity. 
Now, the Surgeon General at the time, Dr. Vivek Murthy, uh, was quoted saying this because he was studying what are the biggest public health concerns in the U.S., and this is what he found. In fact, I was so fascinated when Jerry shared this, I went ahead and looked up what he was referencing, and it was a a Brigham Young study, um, and he... They, they found, actually, that loneliness can shorten your life by 15 years. I mean, 15 years. It's incredible that loneliness and isolation can have a measurable impact on our lives, on our well-being, on our health, as much as smoking or obesity, which is something we hear about all the time. And uh, I mean, it's so severe that, and it's not just uh, the global north, like Europe and the United States, but also in Asia and Africa, they're finding that this is the case in modern life. Um, the, the UK actually sees this as such a severe problem. They appointed, they created a position called the Minister of Loneliness. I mean, that's really a title, right? Can you imagine calling up and trying to order your business cards? Um, you know, I'm the minister of loneliness, or saying that at a, a, a cocktail party, you know, that just feels like it'd really bring down the conversation. You know, I'm the minister of loneliness. But um, all jokes aside, it's a very serious, legitimate public health concern. And it's a global one. It's not just here. Um, and the reality is we have a real biological need for human relationships throughout our whole life. When we lack that, when we don't have those human relationships, the impact is real and it's measurable. And scripture only affirms this need. We know in Genesis at creation, God says it's not good for humans to be alone. And then we know further along, when Jesus comes, he affirms that the two greatest commandments are to love God and to love one and our neighbor as ourselves. That's human connection. It's invaluable. We need community. We weren't just created for it. It's not just an added bonus. We need community. And so with that in mind, I really want to take a deeper look at today's scripture and consider, consider that need. So before I dive in, I want to give you a little context. Um, In the beginning, it mentions that they're traveling to Jerusalem for worship, for a festival. Now, there were three festivals that required travel to Jerusalem for worship. And those are the Feast of Tabernacles, Passover, and Pentecost. And so I want you to think of it as the equivalent of something like Christmas or even maybe bigger, something like Thanksgiving that's more universally celebrated. Um, A lot of people celebrate Thanksgiving from all over. And the idea of that, that movement, that people are trying to travel places, people are trying to get flights out of town to make it back home, people who are not able to get home are trying to find a place to, to fellowship and to have a Thanksgiving dinner. If you're hosting, you're scrambling to get turkey and you're trying to make sure you get all the side dishes that everyone wants, like the stuffing and the mashed potatoes and even the cranberry sauce, even though it'll 
probably just sit there, but it's gotta be there, right? It's all about that hustle and bustle. We're trying to make this holiday happen. And that's what's happening here. They're, they're moving about, they're traveling. All of Israel is participating in this. This is a major community event. They're all trying to get to Jerusalem to worship and then to have a, a beautiful Sabbath together. And so in the middle of all this scramble and excitement and worship and this communal experience, we see that this man is alone. Here he is at the pool and he's by himself. And now we need to look at this on a couple levels. One hand, he has a disability. And in that time, According to the laws, he would not be allowed to worship in the temple. He would be considered unclean. He would not be allowed in to worship. And so while everyone is experiencing this communal event, they're all marching up the temple steps and they're entering into worship, he misses out. And it's been 38 years that he's been, he may have never participated in worship at the temple. And so here he is missing out yet another year while everyone's scrambling and excited and and having this shared memory. He is waiting by this pool. But it's another level as well because it seems that this loneliness is not just limited to this particular festival, that his loneliness is broader and extends further than just this one day or these three days a year where there's a major holiday. He says um, that he has no one to help him. And he's been there for a long time. Verse six, Jesus says he knew the man had been there a long time. And when he asks if he wants to be made well, his response is, I have no one. I have no one. That's a heavy statement right there. Have you ever felt that you have no one? That's how he's feeling here, not just, not just then. Time and time again, the pool is, is stirred and he misses out. Have you ever found yourself with no one in your time of need? Without someone to help him, he can't get in the water in time. You know what's so interesting about that is that he didn't actually lack faith. He had faith. He believed he could be made well. He believed that God could do it. But what he lacked was community. Another way of thinking of it is he, he had hope, but he had no help. He had hope, but he had no help. He was let down not just on this day, but on many days before it, for years. So 2,000 years later, here we are, we're in New York, or anywhere really in the United States, and we have a big obstacle to community right here, right now, which is that we live in a busy and lonely world. Our hustle and bustle is not just limited to the major holidays. I I wish it was. (laughs) Instead, a lot of us feel that, that anxiety of life every day. From the moment we wake up, the hustle begins, and it doesn't let up till we lay down again. And even then, some of us 
I'm in this camp, lay down, close our eyes, and our mind is listing all the things that we didn't get to today, or that we should have gotten to, or that we have to get to tomorrow, on top of other things that we have to get to tomorrow. We might even be laying there thinking like, oh my gosh, I should just go and do some of this right now. I can't, I can't afford to sleep. You know, we have that internal list going. For some of us, it's that Sunday night dread, because Monday is coming. And we know, we know that whatever is at the office or our workplace or work site is waiting for us. And maybe we just don't want to face it. Or we just feel like we wish we had more of a break from it. But it's not just if you're a boss or an employee that you're feeling that Sunday night dread. For some of us, it can be other reasons. So when I was home with newborns or stay-at-home parents, you might find that that Sunday night dread is Monday starts... It, the week races through and I won't have a lot of help or social time because people are busy. They're at their jobs. They're, they're doing other things. They're taking care of errands. They're too busy to slow down and, and meet up and connect. I'm going to feel lonely all week. For some who are retired, it might be the same sort of thing that everyone gets up and gets going and, and they're so busy living and trying to take care of their stuff and work that no one slows down to ask how you're doing to check in to see if you need some assistance or help. Maybe it's something else for you. Maybe it's physical disability like this man. You have physical limitations for one reason or another, and it means that you can't do some of the things that you wish you could do, that you would like to be participating in more events and more social activities, but you have physical limitations to that. And perhaps it's something else. Maybe it's something like depression, where pushing past that fog of depression is so hard that it doesn't seem worth it, that it's so hard to push through and make that human connection. It just feels too difficult. The depression is too weighty. Even our criminal justice system shows our lack of of understanding of the impact and importance of community. We see increase of solitary confinement in the last 20 years. It skyrocketed. And we only have to think of a local story of a young man named Khalif Browder to see this played out. He was only 16 years old when he went in. He was arrested. He was not convicted, but he couldn't afford bail. And so for three years, he lingered at Rikers uh, waiting for trial. Two of those years out of the three, he spent in solitary confinement. He went in, a healthy, young, 16-year-old boy, and he came out a very damaged young man. The solitary confinement was so devastating to him that within a couple of years of being released, he committed suicide. The impact was so severe, and he couldn't overcome it. This is a real, measurable impact of isolation. When we're living in a world with technology that should, in theory, overcome some of these barriers, it should connect us more, now we can talk to people across oceans like it's nothing. On, our, on a handheld device, we can Skype and FaceTime and all this. But sometimes we end up feeling more lonely and more isolated by social media because we curate these images of perfection. We post the highlight reels of our lives and sometimes 
We do that to make up for our loneliness, but sometimes it just makes us feel more lonely to see everyone's highlight reel, to see their curated perfection and to feel that we're not experiencing that, that there must be something wrong with us, that people wouldn't understand because their lives look great. It, It actually amplifies our low value of real human connection. But Jesus looks to break those barriers not just the physical barriers. He looks to break those barriers that keep us from community. In fact, Jesus restores this man to community. Now, I say that because I wanna look at why this man. Why this man? Why did Jesus stop and speak to him specifically? There were, there's a whole crowd of people there who are all seeking healing. He could have chosen any one of them to heal. They were all there in need. That's why they're there. That's what that whole area was about, was they're all waiting for an opportunity to be healed. So why this man? In fact, there's so many people there, that's probably, he was evading the Pharisees in verse three, but he probably was also trying to get out because there's so many people he could help there. But I believe that he chose this man because this man was alone. He had no one. He had already been unwell for 38 years, so it's not that whatever was was going on with him physically wasn't likely to injure, to kill him or to hurt him more severely any moment soon. It's not that he was in imminent danger physically. It's that he was alone. And the danger of that kind of isolation and solitude is real. The impact of that can actually kill him. And so Jesus heals him. And in verse 14, we see that he's back at the temple. He's in the temple. He's in the heart of the community. He's right in the center of what's going on at this major community event, this cultural event. He's right there in the center where he could not be for 38 years. He is part of the community. That's something that could not happen in that way without Jesus healing him at that time. There were restrictions around it then. And Jesus there cautions him to steward his new abilities, his new freedom, his new movement well, to use it well. And so the law that kept him out of the temple all those years was meant to actually be life-affirming, life-giving, life um, protecting. But Jesus here is sort of revealing, his actions reveal some of the imperfections of that law, the, the shortcomings of the law, where the law can't help, where the law was never meant to break community, it was meant to protect it. And so what's Jesus' answer to that? It's that Jesus gives us the power now to restore community. We're not bound by these laws now. There's more freedom and Jesus in that gives us individually the power to restore community to others. With the Holy Spirit, we can perceive the needs that Jesus would, have perce- would perceive if he was physically here on the earth. We are his representatives and we can respond by the Holy Spirit in the way that he would respond if he was here. When we're sensitive to the leading of the Spirit, we can see those around us who are in need and provide that human connection 
that they desperately need. Now, I know there is an endless set of needs out there, but that's why we have to rely on the Spirit. If we cultivate those rhythms of silence and solitude, we can develop a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit to know when and how we should step in to provide community and open the way for community to happen. Now, I wanna give a practical example, especially for those of you who are prone to overfunction, like I am. It doesn't mean that when you see the need, you have to meet the whole need. It's about being sensitive and being willing to be used by God. So one example is, um, or the most recent and most vivid example I can give you is a year ago, March 27th, 2018, I suffered a very unfortunate fall in our home. I was outside on a set of stairs and I actually fainted. Um, I wasn't taking good care of myself and I, I fainted, but I was on top of these stairs. So when I fainted, I tumbled all the way down and I landed face first onto the pavement. And I was knocked out for a little while, not sure exactly how long. By God's grace, I came to and eventually I got to the emergency room. Um, I don't really remember much of that. I remember the doors opening. I don't really remember traveling there very well. But then um, that last memory is the emergency room doors opening and then I woke up the next day in the ICU. And I was there for three days. I had suffered a seizure in some of that time when I was in the ER uh, and I don't remember it. And so I was being monitored um, both for the, the impact to my brain um, as well as for seizures. So it was a traumatic brain injury. It was a very severe concussion and it took me months to recover. It really wasn't, that was at the end of March. It wasn't really till the end of December that my cognitive ability started to really come back. Um, I was struggling to think of the words I wanted to say. I was struggling to say the right words, even if I thought them. I was struggling to write or to type. I just couldn't, a lot of my communication abilities were severely limited. Um, I couldn't return to work for months and months. I ended up um, losing the job because they had to rehire, because I just didn't know when or how long it would take me to recover and how much would come back to me. Um, they believed I would recover 100%, but month after month went on without any sign of major comeback. And it wasn't until December that things really started to come back in, in larger waves. But the reason I tell you this is because at the time, um, it was a crisis, obviously, for our family. My husband was at my side in the ICU, and we had um, a family, a couple um, that we were very close to, who stepped in, swooped up our kids that night so that they would be safe and cared for and fed and get to school and things while Andrew could attend to me at the hospital. Now, they saw the need but they also saw that there was a bigger need than what they could fill by themselves. And so they felt led by the Spirit to start a care calendar. So online, and there's apps for this where you can actually set up calendars and then email the link out and people can sign up and coordinate all kinds of care. So they set up a calendar where someone would provide a meal in the evenings and someone would provide a visit for me when I was home from the hospital um, to check in on me during the day. And I have to tell you, two months went by 
and we were fed. We never ran out of food. Um, people sent Uber Eats when they couldn't come themselves and deliver a meal. People visited me, and our needs were met. For seriously, for two months, it was incredible. And it's not because they solved all the problems themselves. It's because they saw the need, and they saw the community around us, and they were able to let God use them to, to leverage, to, to make that happen, to open the way for community to come in and support us. And thank God I can preach again, and I can teach again, and I can write again. <laughs> I'm very grateful. <laughs> I was at the end of my seminary career when that happened, and so I was sitting there for months thinking, oh my gosh, I paid all that money and spent all those years in school. Is it all gone? I have the student loans, but what if I don't have the knowledge anymore? <laughs> but it did come back, thank God, and more and more still is returning to me uh, daily. But this is our, our witness, is that we're this kind of community. We're the people of God. Jesus was the ultimate reconciler, and here we are as individuals. We're individual reconcilers in Christ's name. We're the ones that find those at the outside, that find those that are lonely, that find those that are isolated. We're the ones with eyes to see by the Spirit, to see those people who may not even on the surface look lonely, but we can perceive their need, and we can help meet it. We're the ones that make the way for community, that open the door, that bring those in, that tear down barriers that might keep people from coming in, particularly the unseen and the vulnerable. That's the gospel. That's the way of the cross. It breaks down barriers, and God uses us to do that. And as Christians, we know that God has our back, and so it frees us up from fear to reach out to those outside. Even as we recognize and embrace our limitations, the Holy Spirit can give us the ability to invite others not only into relationship with us, but into relationship with God, into that broader community. So I wanna ask you today, who are you in this story? Are you the person that finds themselves lonely do you find yourself saying, I have no one? I want to recognize that that's a painful place to be. But I also want to invite you to take a step in faith, to know that God is with you first and foremost, that you're never truly alone in that way, but that your need for human connection is real. It's legitimate. It's necessary that that need is addressed. And so I want to invite you that this is a church, every church is imperfect because it's filled with imperfect people like me, like you, but a perfect God uses it to reach those and to restore those who need that human connection. It may be that you have to take some of those steps of, of boldness and faith to maybe do a summer party, to attend a few summer parties, to get to know some people, to attend an equipping event, but I encourage you, that the church can help you restore that connection you need. But maybe you're not that lonely person. Maybe you're the person that, maybe you don't even realize there's people around you in need of, of relationship that you can reach uniquely. I'm praying that you would invite the Holy Spirit in on this Pentecost Sunday, 
especially, where he broke down barriers on, on that day of Pentecost. He broke down language barriers, political barriers, social barriers, gender barriers. Every barrier was shattered on that day of Pentecost. I ask that you would invite the Holy Spirit in to show you who's around you that needs that touch of community, that needs that kind word, that needs that conversation, that needs that check-in. And if, if you are already seeing those people and you've maybe shied back from doing it, I pray that the Holy Spirit would give you courage to surpass that fear and reach out, that you would slow down long enough to make that connection with others around you in your community. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, on this day of Pentecost, we invite you to come. We invite you to fall. We invite you into our hearts and minds to speak to us, to speak to those who are lonely, a word of comfort, a word of belonging, a word of community but also to speak to those of us who have, to have eyes to see, to have hearts to perceive, those who don't have, and to see how we can step in and be like Jesus to those around us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Sharon. Let's stand. So we're going to share this worship song together. Please stand and I will come back and I'll close us.
So I think uh, loneliness is one of those, um, it's one of those experiences that are hard to share because I think our culture says something like this. Um, if you are lonely, somehow you're not a good person because good people have friends, good people are surrounded, good people are in community. And so therefore, if I'm lonely, um, somehow I'm defective. But that's not true. That's a lie. Um, experiencing loneliness is like experiencing anything else. It's like experiencing sadness. It's, it's experiencing um, unhappiness. It's ex experiencing joy. It's a feeling. It's what we are going through at that moment. And so one of the things that I, that I would like to present to you, and I'm going to ask the uh, prayer teams to come up to my left and those that are serving communion to please come to my right. Um, don't distance yourself if this is your experience. Some of us need to just come and have someone pray. So just say the words, I feel lonely. To allow that to be received and to receive prayer for that and know that it's okay because the Holy Spirit will meet you in that loneliness. He will meet you. He will walk with you in that loneliness. He will not run from you and he will not judge you. Some of us are lonely and we're surrounded by people. It doesn't mean that you're alone. You can be lonely with other people. You can feel loneliness in your marriage. You can feel loneliness in a large family. It doesn't matter how many siblings you have. It doesn't matter how many people surround you. You can still feel loneliness for whatever reason that you do. And for some of us, we need to take a step. You know, what's the step that you can take for yourself? Is it to, to risk um, community where you can be hurt? risk community where it's difficult and say, you know what, I'm going to step out. Maybe this summer I try something new and I actually go to a summer party that somebody's invited me to and I risk being someplace that I'm not used to being. Or maybe, maybe you go and attend the day alone with God and you, you experience community with other people in this journey of being a Christian. And just see what it's like to just be with other folks, be able to open up and talk to people and relate to them on a different level. And for some of us, we may be saying, hey, you know what? I don't feel lonely. Life is great. I've got a great family. I've got great friends. And this is where I'm at right now. And so for you, the question is, how do you allow the Holy Spirit to open your eyes and see the people around you that are waiting for you. People at your workplace, on your block, in your school, right next to you right now. How do you see those people and what's your response? It doesn't always have to be a big response. It doesn't always have to be a major thing. It could be recognizing this person week after week that you sit around in this service learning their name, speaking to them every week. It could be that person in your office that people kind of distance themselves from and they don't really talk to. You could talk to that person. You could bring them coffee. You could take a moment to hear their story. There's so many ways that we can be agents of Jesus and step into the lives of other people 
and give them a sense of belonging. So it's not just, is it me? The question is, is there someone else that Jesus is asking me to extend myself to? So wherever you are, what I'm asking is don't leave this room until you have a step identified for yourself. What is your step? What are you going to do? What are you going to do tomorrow? What are you going to do tonight? What is your step? Because if we don't recognize and we don't embrace the opportunity that he's bringing to us, it's just going to pass away. So the prayer teams are here. They're ready to pray for you, whatever your need is. And some of us need to be in communion with Jesus so you can come and take communion. But do not let this moment pass by. Allow him to meet you, to speak to you, and to guide you. So open your hands. Um, We're going to, I'm going to pray a blessing over us. Um, Before we close, though, one housekeeping note, I'm going to ask you all, please, um, we have the incarnational listening workshop coming up. Some of us need to stay for that, right? Um, Before you leave, just take a chair and put it to the side so we can prepare for that workshop coming up, okay? So open your hands. Brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, I pray that through his great power and great love and sacrifice for each and every one of you, that you will embrace the journey that he has for you. You will embrace his call to you to come into community with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That this day, more than any other day on Pentecost Sunday, you will recognize and realize the power of the Holy Spirit and that you are never, ever alone or separated from the tangible and concrete love of our God. So I bless you in the strong and wonderful and mighty saving name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you all.